If you would join me, uh, take out your Bible if you brought it with you. If you didn't, take out the one in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. All of the Bibles here in this church um, are available and they, are, um, they have been purchased through the Dwayne Arnold Bible Fund so that you can take that Bible home with you wherever you go as well. Um, we're going to be opening up today to our reading in 2 Peter chapter 2. And I want to start out by reading uh, the reading that you read last week because it's really a continuation that we're talking about this week. So I want to remind you of what Bill focused on last Sunday, and then I'll read just the first three verses of our reading today. Second Peter chapter 1 will begin in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a joke that I read, I think it was maybe nine or ten years ago now. It's a story about a man named Farmer Joe. Farmer Joe had been in a serious accident, and he decided that his injuries were so serious that he was going to sue the trucking company that was responsible for the accident itself. And so they were sitting in court, and the trucking company hired this fancy lawyer that called Farmer Joe to the stand and asked him one question. He said, Farmer Joe, did you or did you not, at the scene of the accident, say to the officer who responded, I'm fine? Farmer Joe answered by saying this. He said, well, I'll tell you what happened. I had just loaded my favorite mule Bessie into the back of the... No, 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 said the lawyer. That's not the question I asked. Answer the question, did you or did you not say to the officer when he asked, how are you? I'm fine. 
Farmer said, well, let me continue. I, I had just gotten Bessie into the trailer. I was driving down the road. The lawyer interrupted again, said, your honor, would you please just tell him to answer my question? Because I believe that he said to the highway patrolman that showed up that he was just fine. And now all these weeks later, we're sitting here and he is suing my client. I think he's a fraud. Just tell him to answer the question, yes or no. Well, the judge was kind of interested in old Bessie in the story. And so he said, you know, I'm going to allow this. Farmer Joe, why don't you continue sharing your story? And so Farmer Joe, he said, thank you, your honor. And he proceeded. He said, as I was saying, I just loaded Bessie, my favorite mule, into the trailer. And we were driving down the road. And this huge semi-truck came, ran a stop sign, hit me in the side of the truck. I flew into one ditch. Old Bessie flew into the other ditch. We were both hurting real bad. I was moaning and groaning over here. She was moaning and groaning over there. And the highway patrolman showed up. And he went over to old Bessie first. And he got on the phone with a veterinarian and he said she's looking real bad I think we're gonna have to put her down right here on the side of the road and then he came over to me and he said how are you feeling I said I'm fine <laughs> this may be the one instance where you might not want to really say how you're doing right <laughs> but how often do we answer the question that we're asked with something other than the truth because we believe that sharing the truth might actually hurt us more than it might help. That's the situation Farmer Joe found himself in with the officer on the side of the road. But have you not found yourself in the same place when you've gone to the grocery store and somebody you know runs into you and you've had a terrible day and they say, Kathy, how are you? And you say, I'm fine even though you're not, right? I'm good, I, I don't want to say, right? We, we do this even to our loved ones. We, we don't admit simple things, like, like when your husband or your wife asks, who drank the last of the milk and put the empty jug in the refrigerator? Not to say I've ever been guilty of that, but, but you know, what do we say? We don't say anything, right? Or we say somebody else did it. Maybe you ate something you know you're not supposed to eat, or you drank something you know you're not supposed to drink, and so what do you do? You hide the evidence. You cover it up with your words. You look the other way. It's because we don't trust the truth. We don't trust the people around us with the truth, and yet, at the same time, in those moments, as I bring up those examples, you also instinctively know, don't you, that the world revolves around the truth, doesn't it? Everything revolves around the truth. We live by the truth. And so today, we're going to talk about the truth. Because it's through the truth that we're going to learn through 2 Peter chapter 2 that God can show us his generous grace. Now, this is the third week in this short book series that we're doing called Generous Grace. Um, it's probably the most difficult passage to preach. Actually, as I was preparing this, one of the outlines that I was looking at suggested to pastors preaching through this letter that you just skip this part. And, and, and you probably can imagine why as you read through just the first three verses. Let me read to you again chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says this. He says, There were also false prophets among the people. Just as there were false teachers, there will be false teachers among you. 
They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these false teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. How are those for words to wake you up in the morning, right? Not exactly what is typical for my morning devotion as I look for encouragement. And yet, don't you lean in a little bit closer when you hear words like false teachers? Don't you want to know what this is teaching us? Because in our modern world, anybody can be a teacher, right? And there are venues in which to proclaim your message about a whole variety of any kind of subject for people to listen to, which leads us as the masses to be always asking the question, how do I know who to believe? How many of you have asked that question about all sorts of different things in life all the time, right? We all want to know. And I can't speak to a lot of different areas, but Peter speaks to the areas of faith and of God. And he gives us three principles that will help us discern who is speaking the truth of God. And the first one that we learned last week and why I read to you those verses that Bill shared last week is this one, and that is that truth comes through an experience with the living God. Truth comes through an experience with the living God. If you look at verses 16 through 18 in chapter 1, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. Peter is proclaiming the authority he has in which to teach as well as the other apostles. He says, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Peter makes the case that he is a reliable source of truth because he is an eyewitness to the majesty of Jesus Himself. This is going back to an experience that we refer to today as the transfiguration. Jesus was transfigured on the mountain before the disciples. He had this literal experience Peter did with God. He saw the glory of the Spirit. He heard the voice of the Father booming down saying, this is my son. Verse 19, he says, it's not the only reason you trust this truth, but we also have the prophetic message. Message, which is something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This reminds us of something almost verbatim in Paul's writing to Timothy, right? 2 Timothy 3.16. The truth of God's word, the truth of the Bible is the truth because it comes from God. (laughs) That's why it's 
true. It's, it's not that the stories in it are written by perfect people about perfect people. That is actually not the case at all. It is real people, imperfect people, who had an experience with the real one true God. And so that's the first thing that we learn, is that truth comes through an experience with the one true God. However... If you've ever turned on your television at 3 o'clock in the morning, you will probably know that just because somebody says they've experienced an experience with the living God is not enough to know whether or not what they say is true. And I say 3 a.m. It's been many years since I've turned my TV on at 3 a.m. Are there still infomercials with fancy preachers in suits at 3 o'clock in the morning selling selling prayer cloths, right? Yeah, yeah, these are, these, are, these are preachers, men and women, but let's just be honest, it's almost always men, right? And, and, and three o'clock in the morning, you turn on your TV, and they'll tell you that they had an experience with the living God, and you can have an experience with the living God, too, for three easy payments of $19.95, right? And they'll send you whatever it is that they're going to send you if you send them your credit card, which is why this is one of three things we're going to learn today about the truth. Truth comes from an experience with the living God. Yes, that's true. But the second thing we learn is that truth isn't destructive. Truth isn't destructive. And if you look back at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to throw it up here on the screen here on this slide, and I want to show you, this is the way that Peter describes what false prophets, false teachers are going to do. First of all, in verse 1, he says they will bring swift destruction on themselves. In verse 2, he says that you will see that they have depraved conduct. In verse 3, that they are greedy and exploit others. Also in verse 3, their destruction has not been sleeping. In other words, you are going to see the fruit of the destruction that comes from someone who is sharing a message from a place that is other than God. And this actually isn't anything that Peter has come up with. He is just sharing what Jesus shared with him. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. I shared this story some years ago. It was shared originally by the late Stuart Briscoe former senior pastor of of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And he talks about it um, when he was growing up, a friend of his in high school liked to sneak out of his second-story bedroom window, and it worked really well because there was this big, sprawling fruit tree that was growing right outside the window. It kind of acted like an escalator for him. His parents never knew when he left and when he came back. And so you can imagine how sad he was when he heard his father say that he was going to cut that tree down because it was a fruit tree and it had never produced fruit or it hadn't been producing fruit for many years. 
And so that night, before his dad was going to cut it down, he devised a plan. He went to the store with his friends, and he bought a bushel basket of apples and a bunch of rope. (laughs) And he tied apples to all of the unproductive branches of the apple tree. And his father woke up in the morning, and he's drinking his coffee, and he's looking out the window, and he says to his wife, Honey, come over here. Take a look. It's a miracle. The tree outside our house has apples. And the real miracle is that it's a pear tree. (laughs) (laughs) You'll know a tree by its fruit. And you'll know a tree when it's trying to bear fruit that it doesn't really, it's not really intended to bear. And so... You have to ask yourself, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a person who has had an experience with the living God, if, if somebody's teaching you in this way, what is the kind of fruit that, that, they're gonna, that you're going to see growing on their limbs? It's, it's a passage we recite all the time here at St. John's, right? Um, Paul teaches it to us in Galatians chapter 5. Say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If someone is having or has had an experience with the living God, that's the kind of fruit that they're going to bear. Not all the time, right? Because on this side of eternity, we are not perfected, but you will see that fruit in their life in increasing measure, as we talked about the first week of this series. In the same way, what Peter is warning us against is that if you see rotten apples hanging from the branches of a pear tree, you know that something isn't right. And we need to get this right. Because how many ways do we see? Everybody raised their hand when I said, how many of us want to know how to know what's true, right? We know the consequences of unfaithful teaching. We know examples of false testimony, bad fruit. And you can see example after example. I don't have time to read it to you, but in chapter 2 here, there is a list that goes over and over and over again of what that has looked like, even in the narrative of Scripture. And then Peter summarizes all of it, beginning in verse 19, when he says this about false teachers. He says, They promise freedom. Okay, that's what they're always offering. They promise freedom while they themselves, though, are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. See, maybe that preacher selling you apples for your pear tree on TV at 3 o'clock in the morning or prayer cloths or indulgences to get your loved one into heaven to hark back to the Reformation. Maybe they really have had a real experience with the living God. We can't judge that, right? Like you'll never know what someone's experience has been, but you can tell whether maybe they're having it now or not, or you can get an idea of it because what they're selling is offering freedom, and if it's anything other than the truth, it's not of God. And that's the third thing that we learn here, and Peter teaches us in several different places, is that the truth will set you free. In verse 2, he says, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth 
into disrepute. In verse 19, he says, they promised them freedom. And what Peter's really doing is harking back to, again, the teaching of Jesus when he says in John chapter 8, if you hold on to my teachings, then you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, say it with me, free. The truth will set you free. Nothing else will. Apples on a pear tree will not set you free. Only the truth does that. And one of the many places that I've learned this story, I've shared this a couple of times, was, was in a speeding ticket that I got 10 years ago now. <laughs> um, so I got a speeding ticket just 10 years ago now. I was very frustrated. My whole family was in the car. Um, that's not why I was frustrated. And, and it wasn't because I wasn't guilty. I was absolutely guilty. <laughs> I was frustrated because I got caught. <laughs> and I was frustrated because it was this known speed trap. It's a place that people just know you got to be careful. They always sit there, whatever, all that stuff. And so I was really frustrated. And so I did what any honest young person of the cloth would do. I went home and I Googled, how do you get out of a speeding ticket? <laughs> And I found all these different ways to get out of a speeding ticket. There's all sorts of ways to do this. And so I printed out the best ones, and I put that sheet of paper in my pocket, and I decided to go to court. And I was on my way to court. I'll never forget, I was on the phone with Wendy Ellsworth, who's our council president now. Um, I don't remember what we were talking about, something church-related. And I pulled into the parking lot, and I had to cut the conversation short. Now, I didn't tell her why. I just said, I have to go. And so I hung up the phone, and I walked into this courtroom, uh, just the city hall, you know, in this small municipality. And the room was full. And it was full of people that were just like me. Almost every single one of them was there because they had gotten the exact same speeding ticket I did in the same place on the same road. And so I was watching and listening as the judge called one at a time publicly these people forward by name. And as he's calling all of them, I'm thinking about the 21 ways of getting out of a speeding ticket that I have in my pocket. And yet every person that came up, almost every single one, when they said, what is your plea? You know what they said? Guilty. And I thought, here I am with my list of excuses, <laughs> Pastor Tom <laughs> sitting in the middle and with every guilty plea, that list of excuses became less and less appealing. Why? Because I knew in my heart of hearts that I was wrong. I knew that I was speeding. I knew that I was guilty of the thing that I was there to, 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 be, to stand and account for and, and I knew instinctively, not just up here, that it's the truth that sets you free, right? Because how many times has that happened to me? Even, even every Sunday in church. Why do you think we, we confess our sins every single week? You go through that. It's liturgy. Sometimes it feels rote, right? The reason we do it is because every week from Sunday to Sunday, guess what? We make mistakes. And we need to come before God. And we need to say to him, this is my truth. Because I know that in Christ, the truth will set me free. Amen? It's the promise of our baptism. It happens before we even know it is beyond ourselves. And so in that moment, I'm listening to all these people coming up and saying, guilty and guilty and guilty. I decided I'm not going to use this sheet of excuses. I'm going to say that I'm guilty. And funny thing, if you've heard me share this story before, as soon as I made that decision in my mind, 
they called me forward and they said, Mr. DeGroote, you don't have a speeding ticket on your record anymore. I had had one when I was in college. Um, they said, it's not on your record anymore, so we're just going to give you a plea deal. I didn't know this was possible. They gave me a, a faulty speedometer ticket instead because that's how our legal system works. I don't really fully understand it, um, but I had to pay a little bit more money. I walked out without a speeding ticket, and the truth is that felt kind of good, but I still didn't feel redeemed because that whole time I'm sitting in court, I'm ready to confess my sin, right? And I wasn't given the opportunity to do that. And so the part that maybe I haven't shared before was that I had the opportunity to do that, but it wasn't in court. It was in the grocery store on the way home. I had to drive through Burlington to get home to Elkhorn. And my wife texted me on the way home, and she said, we ran out of milk. Can you stop at the grocery store and get milk? And I said, sure. And so I pulled into the grocery store. I went to get milk. And lo and behold, I'm in getting the jug of milk, right, because I probably drank the last of it. And, and I heard somebody in the distance say, Pastor Tom! And I walked up, and sure enough, it was a guy who goes to church here at St. John's and lives in Burlington and knows that I don't live in Burlington and said, what brings you to our part of town? Now, what could I have said? I'm fine, right? Oh, I heard the milk is better in Burlington than it is in... I mean, I don't know what I could have said, but I knew exactly what I needed to say. And so you know what I said to him? I said, I'm here because I had gotten a speeding ticket. And I'm on my way back from court. And I'm guilty. That's it. And do you know how he responded? He laughed. <laughs> And I laughed too, but for me, it wasn't just because I thought it was funny. It was because in that moment, with a fellow brother in Christ, the truth had set me free. Amen? The truth had set me free. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And so if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. The farmer in the story at the beginning, he knew the truth, right? He knew he wasn't well. He was hurting. He just didn't trust his truth with the officer who was asking him the question. I am here to tell you, you can trust God. He sent his son to break the chains of sin with the power of truth that through his body and his blood we are not punished, but in him we are set free.